Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What up, Sea of Red? You're listening to Into the Flames, a Calgary Flames fan podcast. Your home for all things Flames and updates around the NHL. With your hosts, Raja Burry and Noah Eppleston. Into the Flames, new episodes every Sunday. Oh, nice. I, I don't blame you for not living here in the winter. I mean, <laughs> it's actually been fairly nice this week, actually. It has been, yeah. I watched the game last night. Yeah. That it was, was a good one last night. That was crazy last night. Yeah. Two two teams were a little rusty. Players were a little rusty. You know, the all-star break, you got a little bit of a, uh, you know, few mistakes here and there that, that normally don't happen. Yeah. Um, but no, it was a good game. Entertaining if you're a fan, for sure. Flames are a big uh, physical team, and if they play to that identity, I think they're going to be in a lot of games. Uh, nights when they somewhat uh, sleepwalk through the physicality part of the game, they're not uh, not as good. Um, I was very impressed with Rangers' physicality. You know, we all know Truba, physical guy, and but some of the other players, uh, you know, Lucic getting knocked down, and then the two big hits on on uh on the on the other flames so cadre <laughs> yeah yeah throwing so, his weight around yeah. yeah it's all good well you pretty much already answered one of my questions one of my questions for you was uh have you watched much of the flames this year or previous years and just what what's your take on the team and what you think of the team well you know i never thought i'd be a fan you know i've worked in hockey since i was you know kid basically junior hockey played in the NHL, then coached in the NHL, and coached in the Western Hockey League, and then I retired, and we moved to Calgary, and I just thought, you know, it's going to be fun to go to hockey games again and just have no pressure of scouting or worrying, you right. know, what do I have to watch? Just go and watch it as a hockey fan. And being a Flame alumni, obviously a big love for the Flames and uh, the Flames hockey team, how well they treat us as alumni group in the community and and in including us in a lot of things they do so big fan i've been you know uh, since moved to calgary here i've been to a ton of games every time i'm in town i go to games i was a couple weeks ago i was here for the chicago and the columbus game okay one week uh, so that was fun and then watching the game last night so i try to watch as much as i can i can't always get the games in arizona but uh I have right. uh, my ways of getting games, and I'm usually able to find one or get a replay, one or the other. little disappointing on that Chicago game, though. <laughs> yeah, I was sitting with Lanny, and Lanny said, you know, Hans, these are the games that really scare you as a, as a 
guy that knows the game because you know they're down on the rung on the on the uh, standings and you start to take them a little light and don't play to your you know you got a guy that's uh, has I think it was his first game he started in the NHL as a goalie yeah you know and all these little things add up to taking a team lightly and next thing you know it's too late and you can't claw your way back into a game so um. I'm a big fan. I think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they're looking at everybody possible that can play for the team here and, and help them. And if not, they'll probably add a piece or two here at the trade deadline. I, I, I wouldn't uh, be surprised if they didn't. No, absolutely. Well, you guys heard it here first. We got a playoff prediction from Tim Hunter himself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that we're making the playoffs, but that doesn't mean anything. So, um, yeah, well, you know, they're everything's pointing to they're going in the right direction. They're getting better and better. They're starting to finally figure it out. I think last night was a bit of an anomaly because the break and team both teams being rusty. Um, but the thing I did like uh, about Calgary last night is they just kept coming back, kept coming back. And, you know, uh, we'll, we'll attribute some of the mistakes to the rust and they'll be better uh, next game out. During your 11 seasons with the Flames, you accumulated 2,405 penalty minutes, which set the franchise record by far. And you finished your career sitting eighth all time in NHL history with 3,146 total penalty minutes and over your career you dropped the gloves 186 times of that subset 151 in calgary who did you feel you had the biggest fighting rivalry with the name a lot of us think of immediately is the late dave Semenko, but is there anyone else that you'd add to that list well i only fought dave four times i fought marty mcsorley more than that i fought uh jim kite more than that sean cronin more than that so you know, and there's, you know, I didn't have any single Canuck player that I fought, but I fought a lot of Canuck players. So, you know, it was, you know, the Flames, Oilers, Jets, um, and the Canucks. Uh, those are the, the teams that seemed to always be in the mix in the playoffs and the teams that were the biggest rivalries. And they were the most fun to play against. Um, so, yeah, I don't, you know, yeah, if you look at all the fights, there's, probably McSorley the most he was and Marty was a big tough guy and he was hard to handle he was so big much bigger than me same as David Semenko and Jim Kite again another bigger guy than I was I just uh had good grip grip strength and I never let go <laughs> tried not to get hit to add on there um what motivated you to go out and and put your body on the line every night I mean with that many penalty minutes like th there's got to be some sort of factor was it the guys <laughs> on your team or doing it for your city or what was it there well there's a little bit of everything the number one thing is is you kind of take that identity on and you take that responsible responsibility on it's probably one of the hardest jobs to do in hockey because you know, when you do make a mistake, it can be fatal and, you know, being knocked out or knocked down, which I don't know if it ever happened to me, but uh, um, I was never knocked out. But uh, you never take anybody lightly because uh, there's lots of guys that were good fighters. And the thing that I always did was I trained as hard as I could to be the fittest guy on every team I ever played for. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then also... I trained to be a, a boxer. I boxed uh, in the summers, boxed with Willie DeWitt a little bit and his trainer. Uh, so I was prepared. 
and uh, I took pride in in my job, and I thought I did my job very well. And you know, my teammates were great to me and treated me as a teammate, and I wanted to treat them as a teammate as well. Absolutely, kind of have their backs and just be that guy for them. I I, I had no idea you had boxing training. Uh, what went into that to to train for boxing? Well, you know, it's probably one of the toughest sports as far as stamina goes. I mean, soccer's you know it's an aerobic sport, but boxing, you know, you're 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 going all out for two two minutes, three minutes, and then you get a rest. Um, so it's more anaerobic. Right. Uh, you have to be on your feet. You have to be. You have to protect yourself. Yet you have to punch. You have to know how to disguise a punch. You have to know how to take the punch. Um, uh, it's boxing is a very complicated sport. It's uh, much more complicated than people realize. And and the, the real key is is the tells on when people are punching and, and how to protect yourself so you don't okay. get hit. Okay. The number one thing is. Your face is nice and big when I'm looking at you like this. But when you're boxing, you don't want your face to look that big. You tilt it so it looks small, and it's a long oval, and it's hard to hit. And you put lots of instant courage on, and then you <laughs> go out there and have a good time. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you mentioned the Canucks and the Jets, but like, what was it like to be involved in the Battle of Alberta, especially at that time? Well, you know... <laughs> It wasn't really fun for us because, you know, and I, I was down in Arizona and went to a Coyote alumni golf tournament just in November and Lanny was there and Marty McSorley, Grant Fuhr, Gary Robertson. We had actually did a hot stove and we talked about the Battle of Alberta and nobody said it was fun. Both Grant and Marty and, and us, we, we talked about our bus ride up to Edmonton and they talked about their bus ride because in those days we took the bus up there went up there night before the game, played and came home after the game. Sometimes went up there day of the game. Um, and it was quiet. The bus ride was quiet before and after because, you know, you knew there was going to be a lot of um, violent hockey, a lot of physical hockey, some fights. There was going to be lots of goals. Never lack of that in the Battle of Alberta. So, um you know, those guys said, yeah, oh, yeah, we'd be riding down to Calgary. You could hear a pin drop because everyone knew that they had to be on their toes, on their game, because both teams were very good and both teams were very tough and very physical. And it was, yeah, that's why they call it a battle. You know, it wasn't, wow. just, a, it wasn't just a hockey game. There was a lot of little battles within the big battle. I mean, we didn't plan on fighting we didn't plan on you know game of hockey is a game of emotion and you know sometimes uh you know when you're riding that fence of being emotional and unemotional um you know sometimes the emotions get the best of you but it's uh it's never a bad thing to be over emotional than under emotional no yeah you kind of prefer to be over emotional and in some situations i mean you can get carried away with it but um Kind of to move move gears here. Uh, you were a two-time Bill Masterson and uh, Pink Clancy Memorial Trophy nominee, as well as a NHL Bud Man of the Year nominee. Um, what did that mean to you? And like, what kind of level of dedication and and work did it take to get there? 
Well, the thing that you learned early was um, when you're an athlete, and I learned this as a kid, I, I looked up to a lot of hockey players and was fortunate to meet a couple, and they treated me very good as a young boy and got to go to games, and my brother was a player, and you looked up to the older guys, and then um, and how much it meant uh, as a young hockey player to have someone spend some time with you, uh, give you an autograph, or uh, to see a... a, a disadvantaged uh, person in some way get a, a puck or an autograph from a from a hockey legend um, it just lights up their life lights up their eyes and makes them happy so the easiest thing you can do as a pro athlete is give back um, it doesn't cost anything it just it's it's making someone's life better and making someone happy uh, because they idolize you because you're a professional hockey player and um, being taught by you know, the leaders here before me, Lanny, Doug Risebrow, these guys gave back in the community. And Cliff Fletcher was big on us giving back in the community. The team was a more of a community-owned team than, than anything else. Uh, we had a lot of owners that really gave in the community of their money and their time. And, you know, and then you look today, being back here as a member of the alumni, um, working with the Flames in a lot of ways uh, in the community, uh, it's it's just a thrill to be able to get back in the community. I'm retired, so I could be busy every day of the week if I wanted to be um, doing something in hockey. When I played, I championed a couple of things that were very dear to my heart because we as a family had friends with uh, a Downs child and a, a child with the cystic fibrosis. So I was the national spokesperson for the Canadian Down Syndrome Society. Through that, uh, we did all kinds of fundraisers and I got to meet Daryl Sutter and we did some uh, promotional um, posters and right. did a cattle drive in, in Merritt, BC and just uh, spawned a, a great relationship with that community and, and the, you know, the special Olympic community um, and, you know, all the, all the young adults and, and children that are on that spectrum of autism or downs or where, where have you. And then, same with the CF uh, community. We had a group in Calgary called the 65 Roses Sports Club because a lot of young young kids, when they get CF, they can't say cystic fibrosis, so they, they call it 65 Roses. So it's kind of it was a real fun thing to be involved with. And through all that, I, I was you know nominated in the community and the NHL community with those awards. I won the Ralph Skirfield Award here in Calgary as – uh, one of the flames that gives uh, the most time in the community and gives back in the community. And those things mean a lot to me. And everywhere I've gone, everywhere I've coached and played, I've always given back in the community. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, I probably get more fan mail now than I did when I played. Uh, I just really? came, back, came back from Vancouver and I had a stack of fan mail that the uh, alumni gets transferred from the Canucks mail room to the alumni handed to me. And it's pretty cool to, to still get fan mail when you're 62 years old and you <laughs> haven't played in almost, you know, 30 some years. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's still kids today that have uh, grandfathers or grandmothers or parents that saw me play and tell them, you know, it was a pretty special time in the NHL and pretty special time with the Flames in town here um the team we had and the time we had and the um amount of time we gave 
back in the community as well. Absolutely. No, that's amazing. Um, and sorry, Raja, I'm going to hop in just because uh, he mentioned the Flames alumni program. I'm just going to go back to back here. Um, so what, what kind of role do you have with the Flames alumni program? And is there any upcoming drives or programs that you're going to be participating in? Well, we all have our own little things that we do that we champion, like I mentioned before. But as alumni, we, we take on five or six big events that we uh, do during the year our golf tournament, the uh, brown bagging uh, lunches, the uh, toys for tots at Christmas time, the toy drive, uh, and then a few other endeavors we do, mustard uh, seed uh, charity events, games, um, help with the Flames uh, Foundation with the golf tournament, the poker tournament, and then... um, just small things. I, I'm part of the uh, Calgary Police Youth Foundation ambassador program. We have a power play program that we we introduce kids to soccer in the summer and then uh, hockey in the winter. So every Wednesday from 5 to 6, we're at Max Bell on the ice. I'll be there this Wednesday. I was there two weeks ago when I was in town. Um, and there's anywhere from 20 to 70 kids on the ice, and they just go out. You got a bunch of police officers out there with myself, another couple uh, community celebrities, and we just let them play hockey. We teach them a few things and let them go out there and have fun, introduce them to uh, being around police officers and celebrities that, you know, we're real people. We put our skates on the same way you do. And uh, if you ever need help in the community, uh, we're here to help you. And uh, we're friendly and we're friends and it's a friendly, uh, calm, quiet environment for them to relax and and enjoy, uh, you know, being on the ice with uh, the likes of us. So it's a fun event. And then I do a few other things. You know, we have Colin Patterson's big in the Heroes Hockey. Um, it's a lot of kids that are disadvantaged, um, right from physical disabilities to mental disabilities. And they come on the ice on a Sunday morning for an hour. Yeah, we have two big groups. And and they, again, play. They play games. Uh, we put them through drills and treat them like uh, um, all other hockey players. And, and it's amazing when you start at the beginning of the, uh, the year and, and three, four months pass by and how much they've improved in their hockey. And then yet the biggest area they improve in is their confidence of being around other kids and being able to perform on the ice. So that really raises their self esteem and their self confidence. So it's, it's a big, it's a big thrill to watch and see. Um, same with the power play program. Some kids just coming out there for the first time, never skated before. A lot of new Canadians coming here. Get uh, mm-hmm. uh, we give them an opportunity to have some physical activity after school and bring them. We have snacks for them. They come out. The parents can stand on the board and the bench and cheer them on. And just a great, uh, great uh, endeavor. And it's a lot of fun to see those kids improve and develop self-confidence. That's awesome. I, I love wow. hearing that. Obviously stated that you're retired and stuff now, but is coaching something that you'd go back to if you got a call? The only way I would ever coach again is if it was at the NHL level. Um, I just, you know, I've been six years in Moose Jaw was a lot, um, you know, riding the bus and a lot of, um, you know, you get spoiled when when you're with NHL players and they're somewhat ready-made. Um, 
with junior players, 15, 16, 17 years old, there's a lot of, a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's more than one, two or three coaches can handle in, in a lot of ways. Um, my last four years coaching, I coached with the U18 world championships and then three times with the world juniors. So I didn't have Christmases off or summers fully off. So I did a lot of work. I worked a lot and I got a little burnt out um, right. in the end. So I was, the moment I turned 60, I was uh, glad to be able to uh, say I can retire and be able to retire. And I've really enjoyed it. So I'm not actively looking for a job, but if someone came along at the NHL and it was the right fit, I might uh, take it up. Adding to that, what was it like coaching the Canadian World Junior Team? You know, it's um, it's such a, a big event. And, you know, when I played there, it really wasn't, it was, I think it was in its infant stages. And um, it was, uh, so I didn't really, and then even playing in the NHL, playing here in Calgary, yeah, a little bit, but I wasn't a big hockey fan. So I wasn't, I wasn't turning hockey on when I was a player that much, especially junior. I would have been watching some other NHL games, um, but, you know, they weren't as available. Uh, TV wasn't right. what it is today in the 80s. And right, yeah. You know, you didn't have a live stream. You didn't have a laptop to, to watch a replay of a game. So um, it wasn't until I got out of hockey, uh, got out of playing hockey and started coaching and realizing and seeing kids come to training camp and drafting kids out of junior they played at the world junior you know they're these elite players and, and it's pretty cool to get to know s- some of the kids through the process and then to, to be able to coach um at that level it's they're the best kids in canada and to be selected as an assistant coach and a head coach to coach the u18s coach the u20 world championship uh world junior team was just a thrill and it was a great honor. And we had, uh, I've coached a lot of players in the NHL today, um, not just in Moose Jaw, but with my endeavors with the World Junior and the World uh, U18 team as well. Uh, some great players, some guys are just having phenomenal NHL careers. And it's fun to, to turn on a game and see John Shabbat, who I coached in, in the U18s, and then I coached again at the World Juniors, and um, I was his head coach at the U18s, and I was kind of wondering, gee, I wonder what this guy's ever going to be, and then I got him at the World Junior, and the first defenseman to win the uh, win the MVP of the World Junior uh, Tournament, um, and he was, what a thrill to, to, to coach him and uh, send him over the boards, and what a great uh, young man he is, so just uh, just real uh, exceptional opportunity to to coach some great young hockey players. No, absolutely. That's yeah, that's really cool being able to to teach all those guys about the game. Um, I know every Flames fan's biggest dream here in the near future is seeing their team lift the Stanley Cup. Can you just talk about what it was to be a part of a group that was able to do that and what it meant to the city of Calgary? Well, it's you know. It, Cliff Fletcher built the team over years, uh, trying to get the right uh, ingredients, um, the right experience. Um, you know, the 86 team, we had Doug Risebrow and John Tonelli and some guys that had won before. And that really helped uh, the majority of us that were on that team that went on to play on the 89 team 
uh, um, help teach the other guys um, what winning was all about. What a lot of people don't realize is the 89 team that won the Stanley Cup, not one player on that team had ever won a Stanley Cup before. V- pretty rare. A lot of teams that win Stanley Cups have other guys that have won on the team and uh, they help spread the spread the love and, and the experience. Right. So we were we were um, very well mentored as we went along. We were treated unbelievably by the ownership and by Cliff Fletcher, the coaches. Uh, along the way and uh, any team you ever hear um, that has success the thing that the things that the players talk about afterwards is we cared for each other we didn't want to disappoint uh, each other you could look across the room you didn't want to disappoint the guy across the room we were a tight group and we really cared for each other and we had a lot of fun and those are hallmarks of any winning team any winning locker room when you hear them talk about what it was like to win. And that's exactly the case in, uh, in Calgary in 1989. There's nine guys from that team that live in Calgary still. Um, we were all in part of the alumni. And, you know, there people ask us about the alumni. How's it work? I said, well, I say, well, there's Lanny. And then there's the rest of us. Lanny is the king. He's the guy. He works uh, the hardest. He's got the biggest name and he pounds the pavement just like we all do. And uh, it's a thrill to be around him and see uh, what he accomplished in his career and how hard he works in the community. So um, he was like that as a player on the ice. He was a big star, but, you know, he he had time for myself, a fourth liner um, or, you know, the seventh defenseman. He was just a wonderful guy to, to play play with and uh, be around. And when you have a winning team, you need guys that are selfless and have a lot of joy and compassion for the game and their teammates. And we had a ton of that. No, absolutely. I've, I've had the opportunity to meet Lanny a a couple times just at events or whatnot. And he's always given me the time of day and everybody that I see him talk to, he always gives them the time of day and always is respecting towards everybody. And yeah, just such a good role model. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, I came back from Vancouver here on the weekend. I was at Geno Logic Celebration of Life. And this is a guy, he's a First Nations Indigenous uh, hockey player. And he loved people. He loved everyone he ever talked to. You could tell the way he talked to them that he respected people. And uh, he was just a wonderful person as well. And, and that's, uh, you know, a lot of hockey players are like that. We're they're very humble and um, appreciative uh, that uh, if it wasn't for the fans, we wouldn't have a we wouldn't have a, a career. So it's uh, um, you know it's it's always nice when you run into guys that are are the leaders in that uh, in that area. Yeah, absolutely. And as fans too, it's it's so nice to see all of that. That pretty much answered the last question I was going to ask. So if, <laughs> not, if, you, have, if you have anything else, like. Uh, yeah, there's one thing I could end off with here. Um, is there any like super memorable, just one fight that you could leave us off with that like it just sticks out in your mind or you have a fun story on? Maybe it has a little bit of a funny background or anything like that. Oh, geez. I've only had, well, 180 some fights in regular season, but another 30 or so in the playoffs. So 132 playoff games, uh, lots of fights. 
um, probably the fight that is one of the I get asked the most the most the, the, I get a lot a, a lot of questions asked and of the questions I ask the most of it's who's the toughest guy you ever fought and right. you know and then you know who's the hardest guy to fight you know who's the guy that you're kind of you know there there was a lot of guys the one fight that was and I I've told this story so many times it's fun to tell but <laughs> so who's the toughest guy you ever fought and I didn't really know it at the time. But I fought Nick Fatio in the 80s, early 80s in Madison Square Gardens. I'd beaten up Don Maloney in the early part of the third period. And I thought, okay, Nick Fatio's coming over the boards. He's going to kill me because I beat up his teammate. And Nick was a Golden Glove box champion. He had these massive hands and forearms. And he was just a scary looking dude. He didn't wear a helmet. And he just flew around the ice. And you're going, man, don't ever let that guy hit me. <laughs> either with a check or a punch so we score to go up in the game and i'm uh um bob johnson's not very smart as far as the fighting goes in the nhl at the time and you know i hadn't played in like seven eight nine minutes so we score there's a minute left he throws me out at the face off so like her brooks goes oh okay well i'll throw nick fatio out and maybe we'll have some fireworks here well i'm going oh boy just when I thought I was going to get out of Manhattan alive, Nick Fatio comes over the boards, and I'm going, oh, geez. <laughs> so we're at the face-off, and I'm a right winger. He's a left winger, and he spears me right inside the groin just before the puck's dropped, right right inside my groin. And I'm like, like you got no padding up there. Right. And I'm like, oh, I said, maybe I should just go down, and I'm hurt, and I won't have to fight him. But I, I fought him, so I... <laughs> He steps back and he's got no helmet on. He drops his gloves and he's giving me the, come here. And I was young and dumb and wanted to get it over with. So I take a step towards Nick Fatia when he just reaches out, he grabs me and he pulls me and he's punching and pulling at the same time. And I'm flying through the air towards him. I'm going, oh dear. And I drop my head and he hit me right on top of my helmet. And I don't think Bearcat has found the helmet yet. I don't know where it was. It just blew off my head. And we wrestled the ground, never really had a fight. And I went, thank you. <laughs> I, I'm going to get out of Manhattan alive. So about four or five years later, Nick joins the Flames. And um, we're playing in Vancouver. Nick hadn't fought for, for us yet. And he wanted so bad to get in a fight. Like everyone was terrified of him. Nobody really wanted to fight him. He's, right. he's like Dave Semenko. He only had like 40 or 50 fights because nobody wanted to fight him. He's just okay. so big and, and vicious, you know? So yeah. So uh, we're playing Vancouver in Vancouver in, in the old Coliseum, and Craig Cox is on the Canucks. He's a was a real tough guy too, but a big, tall guy, and he had this kind of California Scooby-Doo kind of way about him. And he's like, hey, Hunts, you want to fight? I kind of go... Sure, dude, whatever you want, you know, giving him his California laid back uh, uh, lingo. And so we get the square off and this big hand comes in and pulls me out of the way. It's Nick Fatio. He goes, Hans, I'll take care of this guy. And I'm like, okay, go ahead. Have at it. <laughs> you know, whatever you need. So they start squaring off. And like I mentioned earlier, boxing skills, how to, how to disguise a punch. Well, they're just kind of squaring off. Coxie's there, and Nick just goes, bam, 
just like that, hit Cox in the right orbital or left orbital bone here and caved his face in, broke his orbital bone, just caved his face in. And I was standing right here watching, and I just kind of went, now I know that's the toughest guy I ever fought because that could have been my face. Right. Five years or four years, whatever it was earlier, if I didn't duck my head, he would have wow. caved my face. Oh, my Coxie, God. Coxie, yeah, he had to have his orbital bone uh, repaired. But the great part of the fight was Cox didn't go down. He just kind of crumpled a little bit, and he got back up. He goes, whoa, dude, that's a punch. And I'm like, come on. No way. This guy, and he fought. He continued to fight. No way. Oh, yeah. It was wow. something else. So I knew at that moment Nick Fatia was the toughest guy I ever fought. I mean – I fought Bro Probert twice, and so uh, I know what toughness is. But uh, that's just kind of a fun story because you know I played uh, played against Nick and played with them, and right. kind of made it full circle kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure glad to be able to play with. No, absolutely. That is a that's an awesome story. That's probably the best story we've ever gotten. I think. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm not sure if you can see the fight on YouTube or not. It's probably on there. You'll see it. I'll I'll have to go dig oh, in for that after yeah. this. We're yeah. gonna have to. We're gonna have to look that up. Yeah. Well, D uh, Dave Brown, um, I was on the Flames, and they brought in Stu Grimson to try to help me. And Stu fought Dave and did okay, and then Dave fought him again and broke Stu's orbital bone. Same thing. You know, it's like taking a sledgehammer and hitting the side of beef, just like boom. Right. Yeah. And then you just see the. The whole face is like he's had a had a um, some sort of um, stroke. His face just just awful, right? And then so then Dave Brown did the same thing to Jim Kite. So we brought Jim Kite into Calgary again to help with with the toughness here with me. And Jim got his orbital bone broke by Dave Brown as well. So I I've witnessed three three punches that crush guys faces and it's not pretty wow that's yeah, why, that's, that's why you you put the instant courage on before you fight um so um those punches glance off <laughs> <laughs> wow that is yeah that's amazing um i i don't think there's much more we could ask that was really awesome thank you so much that yeah was Probably the best way that we could have ended this. So thank you for your time, Tim. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. My pleasure. And I used to laugh. We'd I'd be in the back right before the game. We'd be going out and everyone's going in there putting water on their hair and getting all ready. And I'd be putting the Vaseline on my <laughs> on my nose and my eyebrows. And the young guys go, What are you doing, Tim? What's that? I go, that's instant courage. Do you want some? Here, it's just it's just right in the jar here. I said, put some on. Then you won't be afraid if you get punched. <laughs> <laughs> Instant courage. I love it. That's awesome. Guys, well, appreciate having me on, and uh, good luck with your podcast here. It's fun. Yes, awesome. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you. All right. Thanks, have Tim. a good night. So that was Tim Hunter, a literal Flames legend. That's that's a really awesome story. Like I'm I'm happy. I wrote that question like kind of last minute. I just threw it in there like just to see if we could like get something out of it. And holy crap, am I glad I was, that we got that? 
Yeah, like I was gonna ask like a cup run question, then I was like, nah, like I feel like that's kind of too oblique with the way that the conversation was going. So I was like, I'm just gonna lead it over to you, see if you can have anything. Dude, imagine like in today's NHL, like someone's orbital blown just like right, like you you haven't you haven't seen that in the entire like your entire lifetime watching a hockey game live. He saw it three times in person on the same rink. Like Dude, just Brett, the difference of hockey. Brett Ritchie knocked out Jujar Kara, and up till that point, that was the craziest thing we've ever seen. <laughs> like seriously. Much, yeah. Tim Hunter had his favorite fighting story. I'm gonna tell the story of what actually made me a Flames fan. Like the Dude. the moment I knew I was gonna be a Flames fan, it's involving a fight. Um, it was either 2005 or 2006. I was five or six years old and I went to my first Flames game. It was against the Montreal Canadiens, Flames Canadiens. It was the night that Darren McCarty fought uh, Sheldon Surrey. Oh. One of the craziest fights I've ever seen in my life. There was blood everywhere, blood all over the ice. And ever since that day, Darren McCarty, even though he lost that fight, he made me a Flames fan that night. Dude, like, it's funny how you mentioned it, and I knew exactly which fight you were talking about. I'm actually shook that you saw that live. That Good was my God. first ever Flames game. That's so sick. My first ever <laughs> Flames game was a game against the Canucks, and, like, I think Matthew Lombardi scored on a breakaway, and I was like, like, it was like, I had, like, <laughs> club seats, like, row three, and I was like, oh, my God, my God, oh, my God, and then he, like, scored, and I was like, all right, that's enough. Like, that's that's all I need. Thank you. Right. Oh, <laughs> That's sick. Well, if you guys like our content, feel free to like, comment, subscribe. Subscribing is like the most important part. So like, go, go do that. And then liking helps us boost the algorithm. Our algorithm has been shot. So I'm hoping that this video boosts it. So yeah. Let's get some love for Tim. Yeah. Tim some love. Exactly. Literally, literal franchise legend just sat with us for 40 minutes. Like I... Don't even know how to process this. This is so yep. No, absolutely. I'm going to go learn how to box. And in the meantime, all of you subscribe. <laughs> Alrighty. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody.